One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello, welcome to the Balance podcast. Uh, our guest today is Greg Rutherford. Now, a mistake that journalists and interviewers make is thinking that the person they've interviewed is their new best friend. I've known it down the years. I remember working at one magazine and a mate had interviewed someone and they th- they genuinely wanted to ask them out for a pint. And you're like, mate, don't, don't do it. <laughs> In fact, it happened to me. I once interviewed Mark Wahlberg. And at the end of the interview, he said, we should hang out. And I thought he genuinely wanted to be best mates. It's it's like a nice thing that I didn't realise it till like years later. It would be nice. But I was like checking flights to Boston, you know. <laughs> anyway, the reason why I'm telling you this, Greg Rutherford is, is that level awesome and nice. And so while listening to this back and editing, it was, it was lovely. It was a warm reminder of like, oh my God, this is one of the nicest... Um, one of the loveliest connections I've had with someone in, in it's, I'm being very candid here, in more than 20 years of interviewing people, I, I loved Craig Rutherford so much. Um, so this, I say this at the end of the interview, it's, 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 it's not just one of my favourite episodes of the Balance podcast, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest interviews I've ever done, because Greg is such a lovely bloke, and, and um, I imagine Greg listening to this bit thinking, couldn't disagree more. No, what I'm getting at is we, it's just very rare in life that you hit exactly the same. Uh, I mean, look, I'd like to think I've gotten well with everyone on the Balance podcast, but Greg and I uh, just hit a real, really similar wavelength. Very honest, almost too honest intro to the Balance podcast, but I cannot say enough lovely things about Greg Rutherford. Um, if you're not a fan of athletics, check out his career and we talk about this his ability at delivering um at the big occasion i've really launched into this i've not even said greg rutherford gold medal multi-gold medal winning long jumper should have started with that but i I, I was so enthusiastic up top um what a career what a life and what i one, one of the many things that i love talking about here is yes obviously 2012 London is is one of the things that everyone remembers, but it was really lovely to also talk about, and it was an event I remember very well, the the gold at the Worlds at 2015. Um, I would also say, even if you're not a sports fan, Greg Rutherford, without realising it, gives lots of secrets to success. So I would say... If you are looking for professional inspiration or just inspiration in life in general, 
this chat with Greg will absolutely energize you. And there was there's this chat, by the way, is is packed with so many self help. I'm really trying not to use the word life hacks because it's not 2013 when that phrase was popular for several weeks. But there's so many motivational life hacks in here. There's one that I'm going to pick out. There's so many, really. Um, and that it's commentator and it's something that I secretly have done pretty much my whole life. When no one's listening, commentate. I'm, I'm again, what the second coffee was a huge mistake. Greg reveals that what he would do is, is commentate on major events. And what that would then do is when, when the major event would happen, because he'd almost mentally prepared for this by commentating while he's in the woods or what have you, it, it almost like given him that mindset so that when the big occasion came around, he, he'd, he'd almost prepared for it by doing the commentary. And so as, as he says, it's sorry, as the two of us say, so, I mean, use this. If you're in the house on your own, on lockdown, <laughs> you know, he can say to you, imagine you call Joan and Joan now world. And now you might not become a world champion long jumper. I'm well aware of that, but you might want, you might want to achieve more in business. or you might want to achieve more in life in general, just a little tip such as doing your own commentary. And it sounds most peculiar, but anyway, um, loved Greg a great deal as you will discover in this chat, the great, uh, one of our greatest ever, not just one of our greatest ever athletes, but one of our greatest ever sports people. I mean, look at, I mean, I've, I've, I've got his, I mean, this, this, this really scratches the surface. Gold and silver at the Commonwealth, gold at the European juniors, two golds at the Europeans and a silver at the Europeans, gold at the world championships, bronze at the Olympics and gold at the Olympics. I mean, what a career, what a life. And, uh, and having chatted with him for a good chunk of time, what a guy. Uh, Balance is thrilled to present the great, oh, also I will say, the, the there's a couple of moments because we do we can't do this in person obviously so there are a couple of moments where i've had to edit out where say uh the 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 internet connection you know you know when you chat with someone on zoom or online and for a for a couple of seconds there's like a a, a wobble so I've, I've had to clip out a couple of those wobbles um, you know i don't know why i've told you that but i'm you know i'm a i'm a I'm nothing if not honest. Uh, anyway, here is the great Greg Rutherford. Uh, Greg, may, may I just say, so I, I, I'll let the listener peek behind the magic curtains. So we've just had a bit of a pre-chat there of of the people I've chatted with during uh, lockdown the past few months. You're positive. You, uh, you've always struck me as a positive guy, but you, you seem to have a great grasp on what's going on. I've spoken to people I would consider chipper and they're like on they're like on the brink because of you know this ongoing thing mate please what what's the secret there <laughs> i'm not too sure to be fair. i've i've always just been somebody that wants to see the positivity in absolutely everything for me it's never about um the doom and gloom of what's going on it's always just try and see the the good in in yeah absolutely anything and everything and i think that that's always seen me through um i think probably through most of my career because i had a large period of time where i was always injured and things as well but i always managed to maintain that there will be good that will come out at the end of it so i've, I've always kept quite quite well chipper chipper's the right word i'd say <laughs> I, I, I'm the, I once interviewed uh, will i am and he used this phrase and it's i thought i'd made this phrase up and evidently not and he said, I'm not glass half full. I'm not glass half empty. I'm just grateful to have a glass in the first place. And when he said it, I was like, 
that's how I feel. <laughs> that's um, perfect. That's exactly it. Yeah, I, I very much agree with where I am. Then, yeah, I'd say I, I'm, I'm similar in that way. I'm, I'm going to now steal that, and for every everything past this, I'm going to use that and claim that Will I am stole it from me. That is that is my absolute. <laughs> that is my that is mine and William's gift to you, uh, Craig. Um, but the, the, I mean, you touch on it there. So I, I, I was a sports writer for about ten years, and so I, I do know from interviewing sports people who'd had injuries. Uh, Dougie Freeman, one of my favourite footballers ever. Yeah. See the Crystal Palace shirt behind me. Yeah, yeah. A phrase he used when he was injured that he would be lower than a snake's belly, and that always, right. always really stayed with me. That, but. Can you just share how tough it is? Because I, I think us fans, we we just we almost can't appreciate how rough it is for a, a, a sports person to go through an injury. Yeah, I think having a, a a positive outlook anyway is always a massive, massive factor. And and there's there's been research over the years, and and, and people have looked into the fact that actually somebody who approaches something like an injury with a really open mind and the ability to say this will get better. Generally, people still seem to heal quicker um, and you come out the other end of it in a better position. Um, But fundamentally, look, I mean, I've had injuries at some of the worst possible times. And I mean, thinking of the the London 2012 Olympics, because that's the one thing that most people in the look of my career, they'll remember. For me, the year before I was at a world championships and I actually, for the first time, had an opportunity to potentially try and win a medal. Nobody in, in British long jump had ever won a, a world medal before. And in the qualification, I tore my hamstring in half and was out of the, uh, the qualification. That was me done. I finished 23rd or whatever it was. And that was me. I, I was at home. I spent the last month or so in uh, South Korea. So the, the first thing you start feeling is, goodness me, I've just wasted a month of my life. What on earth was the point in me coming away from my friends and family, coming away from the comfortable position of being at home um, and effective, as you say, wasting your, your time for absolutely nothing. But fundamentally, it's experience that you gain, these things that can help. Once you get over that initial shock and that pain, that's then again when that really positive mindset kicks in and then you go to work mode again. So you effectively, you're, you're trying to recover as quick as possible and get yourself back out. But again, I had the exact same thing that happened in January 2012 as well. I picked up another injury, same injury, the hamstring tear. And again, having a support team around you that can then really help, that, that, that's always great at keeping you sort of boosted and, and, and feeling positive. Um, and knowing that, especially when there is a team, that you, you are doing what you do for multiple people, not just yourself. That gives you extra reason to get out there and, and, and prove that you can get back and get back to where you need to be. Now, this, this, this next question, um, this is something that fascinates me, and it's, it's the, the, the sports person who is able to really turn it on when it really matters. And so one of my, I'm showing my age here, but one of my all-time sporting heroes is, is Chris Akabusi. And, uh, yeah, he lives oh, right by me as well. Chris. He's a legend, absolute legend. It, it, just a remarkable human. And he, he says himself that with the regular meetings, for whatever reason, it wouldn't always quite happen. Maybe, you know, like some sort of subconscious level. I'm not saying he couldn't be bothered, but, you know, but then for whatever reason at, at, at the majors, you know, his, re- his record, uh, you know, especially that, I remember that very emotional 91 win, the 4x400. With, Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, mate, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll roll well, up here. the best. Yeah, oh, <laughs> mate. I'll, I'll cry on command. I, I really will. Um, but, but, but I mean, in the, I mean, not just in the history of athletics, in the history of sport, no one has a record quite like you, Greg, when it comes to... Uh, tell you what, mate, if, if your confidence is ever low, just 
drop me a line and I'll... Uh... I know, I know. All of a sudden, I'm making a comeback. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that I mean, just this irresistible run at, at, at the, the huge events. What What was that all about, Greg? Do you know what? Look, I, I spent, and I touched on it just before, like, I spent the, the early part of my career always injured. And everybody, everybody would turn around and they'd go, look, okay, he's talented. Like he's, he's, there's clearly ability there because he's, he's ever so often he'd do well. Um, and it's weird when I talk about myself, I guess, in the third person. But that's <laughs> what people would always say. But I'd always get injured. I'd always get uh, an illness of some sort when it, when it mattered the most in the early part of my career. And then I, I sort of came through this period of, of, of trying to effective. I feel like I, I was trying to prove people wrong in a way. Um, and I think I, I'd had a, a bit of that for for most of my life up until I, I started to have success um, because I think everybody always expected other people to do well and it never to be me. And, and every opportunity that I seemed to have for sporting didn't quite go how I planned it. Now I always had confidence in my ability and always believed that on the right day, I could win a major championships or at least have a, have a good day. And I was very lucky as well that, that I, I had a coach in a guy called Dan Path, who is one of the greatest track and field coaches ever uh, and, and outside of track and field is one of the most sought after um, coaches for physical movement and, and, and everything that comes with that side of things. Um, and he's worked with people like Tiger Woods, Sharapova. He's, he's worked with some of the best athletes. He's Donovan Bailey's coaching 96 when he broke the world record and, and won the hundred meters. I mean, like we're talking a genius. So when you have a man that is saying you can do this, you can succeed and you can win, that also builds this level of confidence internally. Now, I went into London 2012 and I believed I could win, but I don't think anybody else outside of it believed at all because most people go, oh, it was a massive surprise. Could you believe it? Whatever else. And first and foremost, absolutely. You, you don't win major championships just by fluking it or whatever else. I mean, well, okay, maybe some people have done it. I mean, that's maybe a little bit too broad. <laughs> If you if you win one, maybe you can say that. But no, look, fundamentally, everybody in a major ta- championships is a very talented athlete, right? That, that's one thing. And on the day, anybody can win it. It was just that I had never managed to do it because I was always have a problem. So once once London came about, and, and I saw London as as the biggest opportunity in my career. I, I know others, and I, and I spoke to other athletes at the time who struggled with it a little bit because they felt the pressure as such a an adverse weight rather than looking at the bigger picture and and for me i purely looked at london as this is now the the opportunity to this is the catalyst to 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 really kick my career on and and hopefully go into a bit of a purple patch so when i got out there and and then things went well i managed to win all of a sudden your mindset changes again so you go okay well i've won one why can i now not win another and then I mean, 2013 was a disaster, but 2014, then 15, then going into 16, I was able to win because I purely believed that no matter what any other athlete did on that day, I would have the opportunity and the ability to respond to that. And I, and I got myself into and I sort of look, I quite enjoy the thought of it now because, good God, I'm so far away from being an athlete. I mean, I, I weigh about 12K more than I did when I was, I was jumping and, and I'm most certainly not as athletic as I was. But I had this ability and I did it a few times and it was great always doing it to the Americans because the Americans would always give you loads of stick. 
Um, I recently filmed a show for your sport. And we were talking about this. Me and Jason Gardner, the, the, the uh, 100 meter runner who, who won part of the relay in 2004. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the fact that it was always, it's always been the Americans that want to give you loads of stick. And I think that probably comes from the, 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 the way that their, their sports work. And I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to be told. I think it's quite a, quite a good thing and quite healthy for sport. But they were giving me so much stick. And that for me became exciting to just answer everything they could ever do. So in 2015, I won the Diamond League just after winning the World Championships. And one of the Americans jumped a half decent jump. And I basically kept every time he jumps, I would equal it or jump a centimetre further. Now, of course, I can't control how far I jump. You just run as fast as you possibly can. jump. But it just that's what kept happening. And that's what was happening at majors. And I just built a belief that no matter what, I will answer you in some way. And and I will at least put myself in a position to win this title. Um, And once you've got that confidence, it's very, very difficult to, to drop outside of at least being in and around the top three, I think. What does I mean? I've heard of say sledging in in cricket, but what does what does stick? Uh, what what is that like in athletics? Do you know what? It, it takes many forms actually. Now, I, I think I became quite unnerving for for a lot of athletes because I, so I I was friendly with everybody, and I, and I, I'd like to think to this day I'm friendly to. Everybody. I would say hi to everybody. We do school run. And if I walk with other parents, wherever else, I say hi to every single person. Like, do you know that? No, I don't know them, but just always take the time to say hello to everybody. And I did this within the sport, but that didn't mean that I was being soft or anything else. What I discovered, and this, this happened in my first ever major medal winning championships, which was in 2006. I was thinking I was, what, just about 20 or 19 or 19, I think, so at the time. And we went into the cool room and the cool room's a really fascinating place. Something to listen to is quite about a cool room is is Linford Christie when he talks about him and Carl Lewis having these these, um, feuds and everything else. Because in sprinting, it's really intense. But with us, you go into this cool room and you're sort of packed into this pen and you'll have people trying to do like different drills and try and keep themselves warm and get everybody going, et cetera, et cetera. What I found seemed to work is if I just sat there and obviously I I kept warm and, and maybe move around a little bit. But if I was smiling... And looking really cut, just happy, not even not overly arrogant, confident or anything, just smiling and happy. It seemed to unnerve everybody. <laughs> so I realised, so if I'm just there, just happy looking around, say hi, everybody, hello, everyone. Try not to be too overly serious. That seemed to cause people, to, and then you can see them looking at, why is he smiling? I don't really understand what's going on here. And that for me created this thing where people didn't want to, have a pop as, as, as much. And you get the odd person again, and be like, I'm taking you down today, blah, blah, blah. The other form that it takes though, which actually can be quite menacing. And I had this in the world championships in 2009 is you have people come up because you have your markers, right? So if your markers on the runway from where you start, you're running down the, the runway to jump, people will move your markers. They'll kick your markers. There's, there's a, um, a, Video actually, and you might better still find it online. I jumped the in the first round of qualification in 2009, and if you look just in front of me, there's another athlete bent over into the on the runway, moving things, and he's moving another marker, trying to get in my way effectively what? before I start my run. I just smiled, ran past him, um, and, and then actually jumped really, really well. So it, it worked. It was a complete it worked the complete opposite for uh, for him. But yeah, you, you you'd have people that would sort of try and be sort of sneaky nasty in that way and then I say then it would be the normal I guess what you consider a sledging or whatever else in cricket and stuff where you just get comments um 
mean, there's a, a triple jumper predominantly, but he did a bit of long jump as well called Lee Van Sands, who was um, a larger than life character who loved giving a bit of stick yeah. as well. Um, but end of the day, everybody's quite happy generally. And you just walk off and, and congratulate the people who had won and whatever else. But it could get at times a little bit, a little bit heated. Do you, th- th- this is going to sound like a ludicrous question, but I'm, I'm, I believe in it. I'm, I'm going to go for it. So sometimes if I interview, say, an actor, and there is, I think sometimes in the eyes of the public, there's an assumption that the big hit, you know, the main blockbuster is that actor's favourite movie. So with you, uh, perhaps there's an assumption that 2012 is your favourite. Yeah. But I remember interviewing Jack Black, and he he picked out this movie called, I think it's called The Polka King, and he felt that this was quite the overlooked masterpiece if you like do you feel that way about certain uh medals you know that so obviously 2012 is what a lot of people remember but are you sometimes like well actually the world championship at 2015 is actually my personal <laughs> you, you know what i mean that, that, yeah. that's actually my favorite tournament yeah absolutely yeah and, and this is the big thing because cause, again most people will automatically assume that the olympic win that's it that's that nothing else matters because it was the olympic win but actually for me that because that was the first, and and again, I sort of had to deal with this level of people going, it was a fluke, he won't be able to win anything else, etc. I don't think I first of all enjoyed it as much as I could. And I, I guess it gave me a little chip on my shoulder again to, to prove that I could do it. And I felt that like I had it this time. And 2015, and you just touched it actually, so you sort of, you've, you've slightly taken the, the thunder from it there, but, but it was 2015. <laughs> 2015 is the one, where, because... What happened, it, basically going into 2015, so 2015 had a really good year as well. And, I, and I'd managed to win the, the Commonwealths and the Europeans within 17 days of each other, which is really rare to win. I mean, first, we don't have majors that coincide that, that close anyway. Incredible. But no, I don't think anybody in my event had done it at that point. And I think, I think I'd had, I think Andy Turner, one of my good friends who's a hurdler, he had managed to, in 2010, I think he won both, but they were much further apart. Anyway, so I won that one. I went into the 2015 year and I remember sitting in a press conference. I think we were at the Birmingham or London Diamond League, one of them. And I turned around and I said, I want to win the Diamond League and the World Championships this year. And like genuinely, some of the journos in the room laughed. Like it wasn't like laughing in my face, but it was a, it was a case of like, well, it's not going to happen. That's very wishful thinking. Anyway, roll on a few months time. I went to the World great performance there and actually it's one of my, my biggest regrets is is not uh, I, I'm, I'm well look Carl Lewis famously won uh, an Olympic title off of his first round and then didn't jump again um, and and that was that was really impressive too in 2015 I took four rounds one of which was a foul which is the biggest jump of my life and then after round four where I jumped 841 I then pulled out the competition because I, I saw it, I knew I'd won it at that point but the reason I pulled out was because the Diamond League final was back in Switzerland a week exactly a week later and I thought I I don't want to pick up an injury now I don't want something to go wrong I want to have a chance of winning the Diamond League as well so I pulled out that competition but as I say it's a mistake now from the point of view of I was jumping so well. That was the competition to get that massive distance, which I felt like I didn't quite get in my career. Um, but anyway, by the by, a week rolls on. I go to the Diamond League, uh, Diamond League final. This was uh, in, in, in Switzerland. I managed to win that competition. I managed to then win the World Champs, the Diamond League within a week of each other. 
beat the Americans twice. And again, it comes out because they're always the, the biggest males. And it was always the Americans that would jump these big distances somewhere in America. Um, and it would it would sort of it would make things look slightly more skewed than I think they were. We, we touched it before. I was all about big championship performances. And for me, it, I wasn't always chasing, trying to find somewhere obscure to go and jump the biggest distance because I wanted to be at the biggest competitions always. I wanted to be in front of the biggest crowds. I wanted to be up against the best there were in order to, to hone my skills as much as I could. So to come away and win both for world championships and the diamond league, something that no British long jumper had ever done. That for me was the crowning glory to show that in that period of time, I think and I'll say it, I think I was the best long jumper in the world for that period of time, not on distance, but on championship performances. And that really sort of solidified it for me. Everything was downhill after that. But it was uh, it was that period was it was a good period. And, and for me to say that I was the world champion and the Diamond League champion within a week of each other, um, that, that, that was real testament to my, my medical team, my, my coach uh, and the way I developed my mindset up to that that point. And I think you were only one of five British athletes to hold all those titles at the same time. Is that right? Like in the history of athletics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, Which, that's astonishing, isn't it? I still find it quite weird, to be totally honest. Because it's, it's, again, it's like the names that I grew up watching. Look, my first sporting memory is watching Linford Christie win in 92. And I was really young at that point. I, I was, what, five or six years old. And it, it's more... It's more not not just him running as such. It was what was going on around me. Like I was with my family. Everybody was celebrating. I, I sort of had this experience of seeing sport in its rawest form and seeing how it can influence people and how people who are great at sport and have these moments like winning an Olympic title, whatever else, how that impacts other people around them. And, 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 and how, again, I guess for sports fans and whatever else, it's a massive, massive deal. And I'd, I'd witness someone like Linford doing that. And then it, it was slightly before my time, obviously, but Daley Thompson is, is one of the greatest decathletes and athletes ever as well. You've got Sally Gunnell in there um, and Jonathan Edwards as well. I mean, two, I, I mean, these are some of the greats of the, of the sport ever. And, and Wait, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> dropping down a, a, a lump in my throat here. I mean, it's, it's true. It, it's, it, I, I, I don't know. I struggle to. I struggle. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Just put myself in in that bracket at all. Um, obviously, the medals sort of do the speaking against everything, but it's like. I, maybe because I'm only recent, I'm two years retired now, so it's, I guess it's relatively fresh still, and, I, and I've, I don't feel like I've stopped since I retired, so I've not really reflected as such. But to, yeah, just to be in the same conversation as, as athletes like that—that's—that's that's a massive deal for me, and and that again is one of those things that really solidifies how good I guess my career was. Because when you when you're going through it, it's all about the next. It's about I want to go into the next championship. I want to win that next medal. You try not if if you dwell on on any major championships or any major win, your head changes and you're you're, you're not in the right frame of mind to go on and do it again. I was all about winning everything as, and as much as I possibly could. So maybe in a few years' time, I'll I'll properly stop, look back, think about it, and then I'll be able to grind it a bit more. But it's it's bizarre and amazing. I mean, yeah, just amazing. <laughs> okay. From a sports science point of view, um, an example that is often used is the, the, the Roger Bannister four-minute mile. You know, it can't be done, it can't be done. The the, the body will explode. I think some, some doctors yeah. thought that for a while. And then, of course, he did it, and then people couldn't stop breaking it. And I guess you did that to yourself. You know, winning be- became so contagious that once you'd once you'd broken through, then, then that was it. There was no stopping you. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, there is no substitute for standing on top of a podium and the national anthem being played it's it's one of these really intense moments and I always got quite teary when I was when I was up there because it that in that moment and London didn't actually it was quite difficult for me because it, what happened in London was I, I won on August the 4th so August the 4th is the famous Super Saturday that, that everybody remembers from the London games but I didn't receive my medal until August the 5th now I, I had that night, obviously, and I did my lap and I was stood under the Olympic flame and Mo Farah won, won the 10K. I sort of saw Jess really briefly. And it's this unbelievable whirlwind at first. You're sort of trying to figure out what's going on. Then you go through anti-doping. So you're, you're then in a room for a few hours waiting to, to pee into a cup because that's what you have to do. And, and that's always like, okay, it doesn't take the shine off of anything, but it's just this sort of thing. You're sitting around and like, yeah, yeah, good. Well done to you. And often it's the people who have obviously won medals because you're all thinking. So it, it's a, it's a really weird dynamic in the anti-doping room because you're all in like all sort of these different chairs sitting around with fridges full of like water or some form of electrolyte to try and have rehydrate you so you can go to the toilet. But plus you've got, all of the, at that time, Olympic champions of that night or Olympic medalists and, and everything. So it's, it's a really weird thing. So you, you go through that. But as I said, I didn't get the medal to the following day. So I then go back to the the, the, uh, the uh, village, sorry. And I go into my room with my roommate, Steve Lewis, um, who's a pole vault, who's competing the following day. So I walk into the, to the room and it's about two o'clock in the morning by this time. He sort of pops his head up for like a second. Well done, mate. Go straight back to sleep. I then lay staring at the ceiling for about three or four hours or so. And then just think, this is ridiculous. I need to get up and walk around. Basically what's going on in my head was I'm thinking, if I go to sleep, there is a chance this didn't happen. And this dream that I've been building towards and everything that I've ever wanted isn't actually true. And I'm just having a very nice dream the night before I'm set to compete. So it is a really, it's a really weird thing dealing with, those medals and 
dealing with everything that, that goes on with it. The medal is fundamentally the tangible thing that shows that you are that Olympic champion or world champion, whatever it is. But then equally, once you get it, there's this weird feeling of the memory of doing it now becomes more important than actually the thing that you hold. So it, the, everything around all that, it, it's just, it's a very odd situation that you find yourself in and that you're, um, you're trying to figure out. And yeah. And it, it like, like being again, an athlete in the same breath as the other guys, it's, it's always very difficult still to this day to get your head around what took place, how it took place and how I'm here now, to be totally honest. Incredible. Now, now um, I don't want to turn this too X-rated, Greg. But when I when I was a sports writer, I was single, I was younger. I think I, I was living vicariously through the athletes I was interviewing. <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask here? Just what is that? I've heard the rumours. What is that Olympic village like? Because it sounds... I mean, dear God. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I mean, Netflix make a lot of documentaries about a lot of things. If they made one about life inside the Olympic village, I'd be I'd be there opening night. Do you know what? It, it would be fascinating to... Uh, they should think about that as well. I mean, you might need to blur out a few faces. <laughs> <laughs> a, few, a few people might be in trouble when they get back home. Um, do you know what? And this is a question that I've had a few times before as well, talking about the Olympic Village. My stories of the Olympic Village are rubbish because 2008, right? 2008, my first Olympics, I'm 21. And like you're thinking, I'm going to have the greatest time on earth here. The, the morning of the final of, of that of that Olympics, I woke up with a, a kidney infection, a lung infection and tonsillitis, right? The following day after I'd competed, which didn't go too well, I collapsed and had to be rushed into hospital. I then got shipped home. So I was at home watching the end of the Olympics while all my friends had like texted me, ring whatever else, telling me about these great things they're getting up to. And I'm like, oh yeah, brilliant. Yeah, this is yeah. good. Then 2012 comes around. And because I was so early on, so we were held in Portugal until August the 1st. August the 5th, I got my, my medal. So obviously you're prepping for, for the, champ, the actual champs at that point. Then because it had gone well, I was like in and out of the village the whole time. So I wasn't really there. I was going sure. to events and the you know, party or whatever else afterwards. So then that was a bit, a bit boring, I guess, from that. Well, I mean, it wasn't boring because I was doing fun things, but it wasn't as debaucherous as I guess think people always assume it's going to be. And then in Rio, I had to I had to fly home the day after because I was then doing a dancing competition. So um, my stories are rubbish, Amazing. but I can confirm without naming any names at all, of course, that a lot of people have a lot of fun in the general area of that village. Uh, and you have to think of it like this: that you've got what, 6,000 people or so that are in, in, in and around the village, right? Most of them are young. Most of them are very fit, active, and they've probably been building up and sacrificing most things for this major championships for quite a while. Now, all of a sudden, you've done, your, you've done what you've got to do. You're free to go and have some fun. People like to have fun, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating place, the Olympic Village, shall we say. I remember one athlete, again, I won't name any names, but one athlete told me, he says, he goes, I swear some people are just qualifying for the Olympics pure, <laughs> purely for life inside the Olympic village. You know, what? I've got to compete. Oh, yeah, no. You know. <laughs> no, can we put that off a bit? I'm meeting somebody actually about that. So yeah. if you change my event to Wednesday, and yes, I know it's Saturday, we'll change to Wednesday. <laughs> There are, but you know what I always find really interesting as well. So the, the Olympic Village. Do you know what I think? We should pitch this to Netflix or something. It would be an absolutely brilliant 
brilliant program. But what you have as well, which people often forget, so you, you have the massive food hall, right? And in the food hall, you've got you've got all these different um, sort of like catering areas for, that covers pretty much every cuisine around the world. It is amazing. If like me, you love food, you have to first of all be careful before you compete. But second of all, you get an opportunity to try foods from different countries, sure. which you, you've never heard of, which is amazing. But right in the middle of all of that is a dirty great McDonald's. Now, really? What, what you find, yeah, if you basically, if, if I don't know, say you, you, you'd been... I know, bumped on the head and you didn't know what was going on. You woke up in the middle of the Olympic village. The way to tell how far on in the Olympics we are is look at the, the queue for McDonald's. Because at the start of the Olympics, there's not too many people queuing up for McDonald's because everybody's a bit like, oh, well, I shouldn't eat McDonald's yet. because, uh, And then all of a sudden what you've got is a dirty, great queue. Because obviously it's not the best thing in the world to be eating. Um, you've got like some of the most amazing food being um, prepared for you all around. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a funny thing seeing what uh, and how things sort of change during that Olympic village. But I say the food side of things are uh, are a really really important part of it as well, and something that um, I love having the opportunity to try new things. I could just touch on then the foods that that you you get are, are very very different to I think what you normally would would imagine and see. It's it's like sometimes we'll be competing and say I remember competing in Lithuania, and I kid you not, we had this pasta dish that tasted like dust. I know that sounds really odd, but it tasted, you know, like that, you know, that thing with like, I don't know, you, you, well, I mean, we've had so much dusting, so there's so much building work going on. People that, if you ever got like dust on your shirt and you like, it goes up in your face and you go, oh, that tastes, it tasted like that. So to then go into Olympic Village, we got food from around the world. It was, yeah, pretty, pretty special. Well, I mean, from going from some fairly questionable food uh, it takes us nicely into uh, delicious food. Can you say a bit about uh, the relationship with uh, Alaskan seafood? Yeah, look, for me, uh, seafood is something that I was really keen on, still am to this day. Um, and Alaskan seafood is something that is perfect for everything that I sort of do use and, and sort of believe in, if, if you like. Uh, I'm really lucky. I've got two kids as well that really enjoy uh, fish. So I get to cook fish quite a lot. Susan, my other half, isn't into fish particularly um so it means that there's more for me but it, it's something that when you're an athlete and and this is where it was really really important for me i am literally and genetically it's been proven because we have tested my dna for it i am somebody that can put on weight very very easily so the the bulk of my food had to be during, during my career because as i say I'm, I'm already about 12k heavier than i was had to be lean protein protein teen and and what basically we found was that and I, I became really strict at times like genuinely strict to the point where certain fruits I wouldn't eat if they were too high in sugar because as I say genetically I'm not the the most blessed in the world in the world for uh, actually staying lean so having something that's very very lean and something that obviously tastes good and I enjoy cooking and I've now gone on to cook a lot more um, since last year as well it was something that that was very very important for me um, so having the opportunity to to have some Alaskan salmon or and something that's that's lean and, and actually healthy, sustainable, etc., those things are all really, really important in this household and very important for me. And I think as well, genuinely, when you when you're you're looking for good quality ingredients, and I've learned a lot more of this since going on, on MasterChef, actually, <laughs> uh, and the importance of it. Uh, when you are looking out for good, you want to find things that are sustainable, which are um, 
free roaming and, and as, as healthy as, as they possibly can be. Um, so through my career and now into my post, I love cooking, love eating, and have, um, I'm very happy to be involved with as well now. Would you have any, a, a quick way, let's say, let's pretend I'm not asking for myself, but if, if there was something that I could do to uh, finally impress my wife and children, uh, <laughs> would, there, would there be a, 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 a dish from uh, Alaskan seafood that, you, that I could rustle up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, look, people really worry about things like fish and stuff. Look, I think the big thing to remember, and, and look, I'm writing a, a cookbook at the moment as well. So th- these sorts of things, you, you, you have to make it so people can. If you can read a book, I believe you can cook. Right. Yeah. And fish is something that people really fear. And, and I'm, I'm always a little bit like, I, I, I don't really understand where this fear of fish comes from. It, it's it's quite an easy food to prepare and to to cook to be totally honest so uh, if you were if you were looking to to cook something quite delicious quite easy and and you sort of put it in and, and forget about it a little bit i would always say like a, a wild salmon fillet if you put that in a, a, a tinfoil parcel put on top of it a bit of lemon you can, if i often put on um like some paprika some chili powder. i like spicy food as well but then put that in the the oven for about 18 minutes uh, a about 170 at the end at the end of it you're going to get this beautifully steamed piece of fish that's come out which tastes absolutely delicious really is very healthy for you um and genuinely you don't really have to worry too much about it and you put that with like some i don't know some french beans so turn them in a bit of butter i'm getting hungry now just talking about this um and then and then you're, you're in a situation where you can create something that looks quite aesthetically pleasing is absolutely delicious and really healthy as well and that, that's always the big thing and, and, that, and that's especially now when i am putting on a few pounds ever so often reverting to the foods that i know are healthy and and really delicious is very easy to do um so that's something if you want to create something nice and easy follow that and you'll you'll be fine greg, greg may i just say you, you've, you've said a couple of times about putting the weights on i'm just going to tell you i've known you for a few minutes i'm saying this as your new friend you look you look a, you look a billion dollars <laughs> oh i appreciate it. do you know what i'm literally phoning you now every single day and i just to get me going in the morning when i'm like knackered trying to get in the school run or whatever else or there being a pain in the backside or, or, my, or my youngest son who's going for a phase of just telling everybody he doesn't like them after i've heard that about seven times i'm calling you um just because i <laughs> like this I, I thank you i very much appreciate that because it's um when you do when you do step away from sport and i think a lot of people obviously talk about it and there, there is obviously concern i'm very lucky i think my, my mental health is always quite strong and i've always been good with that but your body changes you change everything changes um so it's very nice to hear nice things so i do appreciate that a lot thank you no bless you now, now before before we go and uh, by the way this has been an absolute this has been an absolute treat. You, you you could put this out as a as a as a like a personal development audio book. Everything that's come out of your mouth, I, honestly, I feel, my soul feels nourished just for oh, uh, for for listening to you. So, a, a question I often forget to ask, and it's the, the the name of the podcast is what 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 do you do for for balance? It's a it's well, I don't know if it is an interesting one for me. I mean. It, for me to, to try to find, I don't know, like a balance, of, uh, a, an even keel, if you like. The one thing I still do is move my body. I still stay active, but something I, I, I do and I did during my career and something I, I found really, really useful. So I, I have dogs. Sadly, one of them is actually quite unwell at the moment. So we're, we're, we're sort of 
figuring that out at the moment. But um, I take the the dogs for a walk and I, and I mentally rehearse things that are going on. So just a very quick anecdote. Sorry, I, I, I chat with problems. It's a thing. Once we start going, this uh, trying to get me to stop talking. Oh, wait. Uh, great. When, when, I, when I won in London, everybody said to me, like, that must have been such a massive shock. And can you believe it, etc. Now, what I'd been doing years to that point, every single day when I walked the dogs, was mentally rehearsing me winning that Olympic title. Now, I was commentating on my own performance, which uh, people might find weird. So I wasn't doing it as if I'm like, okay, now take this step, run, jump. I was literally commentating on the performance. And every time the outcome was that I won the Olympic title. I won it with different distances. I won it with different people finishing below me, different weather conditions, whatever else. I've mapped out everything. So I mentally rehearsed that every single day. So then when I won, as much as it was a, it was great, it was amazing, whatever else, I think what helped me get there was that I mentally rehearsed to be there constantly. And I still do that now with other things that are going on in life and whatever else. I get out. I take time for myself, if you like. I walk as a busy household, et cetera, which I love as well. Being a dad, it's one of the most amazing things in the world. But having that time to truly think, digest and, and take on board what's what's happening and then play it out how you want it to be. So if, if you can mentally rehearse how you want things to end when they're when you're currently in the process of, of, of doing them, I think it really sets you up to, to complete something well. And that's what I think helps keep me level pegging, keeps me relatively happy, I guess, and, and stops me from overly stressing. Um, I think as soon as you, when you're mentally prepared for most things, it gives you the opportunity to perform them in the best possible way. Uh, and that for me comes from a, a lovely dog walk in the woods with my lovely doggies. So, so when you say commentating, are you, is it literally like, uh, and I'm not being glib here, I really mean this, is it, are you literally going, and Rutherford now, he's got it all to do <laughs> on this second job. You know, is it, is, it, is it like that sort of thing? That's a good impression of David Coleman there, actually. Um, I was trying so hard. <laughs> um, it actually was as well. Uh, yeah, do, do you know, it, and it was like that. Yeah, so it would, it would, it would I would commentate on the, on the, on the event effectively. So just in my head, I mean, I wasn't doing it walking out like, it'd be hilarious <laughs> if I was like, hold, holding a stick in the middle of the woods. Morning, Maureen. Yes, so here he goes. Rutherford is running down the runway now, and I mean, yeah, it was it was purely in my own head, um, which I don't know if that's weird or not. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, that, yeah. So, so yeah. So I went through the whole thing, and and I would often because I'd be out in the woods for if I because I'd train as well while I was doing, it, especially while I was an athlete. So it'd be part of my training. So I'd walk the dogs. I'd maybe run steps. I'd do a lot of training actually outside, away from the track, and I found that helped me actually as well. It was a, a, a different way of approaching. Um, something that I knew I could get the same outcome from, if that makes sense. Didn't always want to have to be at the track. I wanted to have my space and my time. So, yeah, so I'd literally, I'd train a bit, I'd walk the dogs, I'd go through it. And sometimes if I was out for a, a long walk or whatever else, I would have gone through it a couple of times. And I mean, we're talking, I would, it'd be quite detailed. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I might look at distance from the plaster scene, from my toe, towing off. Um, I guess maybe as well, part of what I was doing when I think of it now is that I was probably mentally rehearsing the processes that I was learning in order to jump far as well. So I had key things on the runway that I would do in order to make sure that I was not fouling on the board and I was consistent, etc. So probably a part of that as well was the development of that, making sure that what my coach was teaching me, I was ingraining in so much so that it, it just became second nature. And, and that comes from, I think, as I say, mentally rehearsing constantly 
but also mentally rehearsing a, a good outcome. And if ever, because it does happen, I mean, seeds of doubt will pop into your head, especially if I was a bit injured or whatever else. If, if, if it ever started to come in, I would stop it straight away, restart it, and I would win. And never, ever in my head have I ever lost a competition. <laughs> and, and that, I think, is quite important. This has been, it's been so inspiring. It's been so educational. And uh, Dame Jess Ellis, I've interviewed a couple of times, and she says a very similar thing. She would think about what would go right, whereas she knew some people were worrying about what would go wrong. And I think you and Dame Jess, as well as having that Super Saturday in, in common, it's so interesting that you both have that similar mindset as well. Yeah, and look, I, I think probably if you, if you speak to most people that have succeeded in probably sport business, everything, I think most things where, where you've had success. And, and look, I, I still count my lucky stars a little bit. There was, as much as I worked incredibly hard and, and did all the right things, there are elements of luck that come into it. But having a very strong mindset, a positive mindset and a belief system within yourself, because this is always the big thing. Look, you have to 100% and, and wholly believe that you have the ability to do whatever it is. And this isn't just in sport. This is in absolutely everything. Because if you don't believe in you and what you have the, the ability to do, nobody else is, is going to do it for you. Nobody else is, is going to be able to hold your hand the whole way or perform these tasks on your behalf. You have to go into it believing. And I think anybody who's had any form of success or whatever level, they will always have a level of self-belief in there and will always try and find as much of the positive as possible in order to go out there and succeed. Uh, Greg, I cannot thank you. This, I'm, I'm saying this, one of my favourite episodes ever. We've done like more than oh. well over a hundred. This has been wonderful. So Oh, thank you. Huge and heartfelt. That's an honour. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. Caught me on a guard there slightly. Thank you. Oh, bless you, Greg. And uh, huge congratulations on your, uh, uh, what is personal news, but you know what I'm referring to, so... Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this household is just about to get that a little bit busier, which, I mean, great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What you couldn't see there was Greg was blinking, help me in Morse code. Yes, yeah, yeah, please. Please send help. <laughs> Congratulations, Greg. Bless you. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you ever so much for having me. Take care, mate. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Yes. Thanks, Greg. Huge and heartfelt thanks once again to uh, the great Greg Rutherford. I found that so motivating and so inspiring. Um, I, I, I could not. I could not be more great. I hope to meet him one day. And uh, and shake him by the hand. What what a what a lovely bloke! Huge thanks to all of you as always. Your support uh, has 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 been greatly uh, is greatly appreciated. If you can do as a solid and share, you know, if you've enjoyed it, share it on the socials. We are at Balance L D N. I am at James Gill Comedy. I know quite a few of you have been coming to our online nights. Always be comedy. We've ended up winning an award. Uh, we do shows with the likes of Al Murray and Rachel Paris and we have with Phil Wang on Saturday and on and on and on. So huge thanks to, uh, to from a, a personal borderline selfish point of view. Thank you. Um, and as I say, at balance L D N across the socials, uh, we will see you again. Uh, thank you as always. And thanks to Greg uh, and everyone who made that happen. That was, uh, that was a belter. Um, take care. Have a lovely week. I know lockdown three is tough. I'm looking out the window. It's snowing. Is that making it easier? I mean, it looks lovely. But as somebody who had to get in the car this morning, it wasn't ideal. Uh, So take care. Thank you as always. And 
I'll be with you soon. I'll be with you soon. What does that mean? You know what I mean. Take care. Bye bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.